Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022, and I am happy to be here with you this morning. If you tried to tune in yesterday, maybe you saw the post that I made Sunday afternoon that uh, there would be no daily devotional. Apparently, um, Amanda never learned that, 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 uh, that in the South, sometimes we don't celebrate Labor Day but I was informed no daily devotional. It's actually providential. I've been pretty under the weather and I would appreciate your prayers. I don't know if I've got a stomach virus, if I've got food poisoning. I thought I was in the clear yesterday. I'm not. Um, anyway, still rather sick, but I'm happy to be here with you this morning. I am going to try to avoid people. However, um, that way, you know, we'll, uh, if it is a virus, hopefully it won't spread to anybody else. It's not COVID. I've already done tests for that, but uh, I would appreciate your prayers. It is good to be back with you this morning. I hope everybody had a wonderful weekend, and I hope you found yourself in a Bible-believing church. If you tuned in here, you know we talked a little bit about that. Uh, we were in John chapter 10, where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd, and we'll actually be there pretty soon right now. And we talked about what it means to be one of the Lord's flock. I put that wonderful meme that somebody made that says, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. Or if I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church was a picture. It's actually a lion chasing a baby zebra. And you can see the rest of the herd in the back, right? A lot of truth to that, y'all. So I hope that Sunday, the Lord's Day, found you in a Bible-believing church that you are a regular part of, worshiping the Lord. If not, well then, today is a good day to make that decision for this coming Lord's Day. Um, speaking of that, today we're getting to the bottom of a lot of things. Uh, where we come to in our study. We're in John chapter 8. Um, if you have not been with us before, we are in the midst of this ongoing dialogue. And, and John has rather large chapters. I don't know if you realize that. Previously, I think chapter 6 had 71 verses. Chapter 8 has 59 verses, right? So it's a large chunk. Now, it doesn't mean all of this is happening in the exact same setting at the exact same time. Gospel according to John is linear to a point. Okay, we talked about this in the introduction to John, but a lot of times John will group interactions together based on content, right? Um, so is that what's going on here? I'm not really sure, but it doesn't really matter. What we have is Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. The last time that we were together, they start this business over being the children of Abraham. Jesus corrects them and says, you're not the children of Abraham. You're the children of your father, the devil. You're a liar, just like he is. You're a murderer, just like he is. Now, what does he mean by that? Did they actually kill somebody? No, but they were trying to kill him. Remember John chapter 2, Jesus could read a man's heart. He could look into a man's heart and see what was there. He had done that with the Pharisees. We know that because John remarks on the fact that he knows that they're trying to kill Jesus too. This had to be relayed to him from Christ, right? So Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees back at, they've already tried to catch him in all these quandaries. They've tried to prove him a fool. They've tried to discredit his name. It's not enough for them to just kill Jesus. They want to destroy his reputation as well. But as always, Jesus is very uh, capable and, and very easily sidesteps their efforts and shows them to be the fools, right? Shows them to be the liars, them to be the false teachers. Nevertheless, where we left off was actually verse 47 
um, where Jesus just really lays it out and says, he, he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Y'all, again, there are so many places where Jesus, through his own words, and John, through his compilation of the works of Jesus Christ, where so much of the focus of the gospel according to John is on one word, and that word is identity, right? Over and over and over again, Jesus makes it very clear who he is, that he's not just a prophet, that he's not just a teacher, that he's not just a wise man, um, that, that he's certainly not something supernatural like an angel, right, where he's not really human there among them. He's absolutely human, but he's also absolutely God, right? We, we see this in his I am statements, and boy, we're going to come to a humdinger today, the one that, that really, really gets the Pharisees goat. I mean, they are ready to kill him. In fact, they pick up the stones to do it. Okay, that's what we're going to see at the end of our passage. But Jesus is using these I am statements, of course, evoking that name of God that we first see back in Exodus chapter three, when Moses said to God, when I go to deliver your people and they ask me who has sent me, what should I tell them? Uh, when they ask me the name of God, tell them I am has sent you, right? Read Exodus chapter three sometime today. And of course, I'm paraphrasing that. But Jesus evokes the name of God to point out his identity, his attributes he lays out. He links himself to the Old Testament. And we're going to see some more of that again today. Um, but he flat out says to the Pharisees in verse 47, you don't hear me because you don't hear God. And you don't hear God because you don't hear me. You see, Jesus draws no line of distinction between himself and God the Father. As the author of Hebrews says, he is the exact representation of God. That doesn't mean a copy. It means he's God there in the flesh. Jesus leaves no room for anything besides either rejecting him or believing him. That's the task that we face, and that's what we ended with the last time we were together. Now, where we pick up today is in verse 48, with the Jews answering such a statement. Let's pray first, and then we'll see what they said. Our Father, please be with us now. Guide us in this time. Help us to understand your word. Help us to see Jesus. As I think about my, myself and my preparation for this, I am so grateful that, that my words fade away, but your word stands forever. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our minds, um, that you would guide us in this time. And that indeed your word would stand in our hearts, help us to see Jesus and then to respond correctly. And I pray it in his name. Amen. So, again, Jesus has just said to them, to the Pharisees that are there questioning him, Jesus just said in John 8, 47, he who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Verse 48, where we pick up today. The Jews answered them, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? You know, this is righteous indignation. Now, um, I'll take that back. They believe what they are exuding is righteous indignation. It's not. This is not righteous indignation because Jesus is right. However, um, <laughs> so it would be unrighteous indignation. But, but they, they, they become so angry with Jesus at his words 
at the mere thought of him suggesting that they may not belong to God, that this is how they respond to him. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Y'all, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. This took place almost 2,000 years ago, right around 2,000 years ago, actually. Nevertheless, for those that say that God's word is not applicable to today, let me tell you, there's a lot of people that respond the same way, right? Um, as a pastor, as one called to proclaim the truth of God's word and the richness of Jesus Christ, I refuse to be like one of the prophets of old. Isaiah talked about him. Right in, in, in the book of Isaiah, he talked about the prophets of Judah, and he called them dogs that would not bark, right? In other words, they were supposed to be the under shepherds. They were the ones, and we talked about this Sunday, they were the ones that were supposed to alert people about the truth and point to the truth of God's word. Dogs that won't bark are worthless. They won't warn you about predators. They won't set off the alarm or anything like that. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm called to tell the truth. And sometimes that truth means confronting people and saying to them, you may not know Jesus at all. Sometimes it means that I have to preach things in my sermons. And, and y'all have heard me say it. It's, it's a force of habit at this point where I, I, I start with the preface. I love you enough to tell you the truth. But and then I, I, I go in to fill in that blank. Where, you know, lots of times I can give you many examples. I've said, you know, Jesus loved the church. If you don't love the church, you probably don't know Jesus. Jesus died to save the church. If you got no use for the church, then that's probably because you don't know Jesus, because you can't love Jesus if you don't love the things that Jesus loves. That's just how that goes. I love you enough to tell you the truth. That's one example. There are so many. You can't say that you love God and reject Jesus at the same time. We're about to see that. Listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Did you catch that? Again, Jesus draws no line of distinction between honoring the father and honoring him. You can't do one without the other. You can't have one and not the other. So that means if you reverse things, if you dishonor the son, then you dishonor God, too. That has lots of implications, lots of implications for everything from from this faulty idea that that ethnic Jews are God's chosen people. You know, and and they've rejected Christ. Right. And that's theologically complicated. Something's going to happen with ethnic Jews. Read Romans 11. God is doing a work in Israel. I don't deny it. But no Jew is going to be saved apart from professing faith in Jesus Christ. That's just how this works, because you can't honor God and dishonor the son. What does this say about false teachers out there? I've been on this kick lately, and I don't mean to be, but, yo, literally, literally, right here in the valley. This used to be something that was in California or something that was in New York City or something in some far off place. We are surrounded by churches, even here in the valley, that aren't really churches. And they have people that stand up behind pieces of furniture that aren't really pulpits, and they proclaim a message that is contrary to Christ. And so to pretend that they are anything but the sons and daughters of hell, like Jesus called the Pharisees, it's just untrue. And in fact, to support that, whether silent or not, 
to support that, what does that say about you? If you're willing to give your money to this, if you're willing to support these, these people that call themselves preachers, if you're willing to be a member of these places that, that call themselves churches and at the same time they dishonor Christ by either weakening his message or more often than not contradicting his message, what does that say about you? Come on, y'all. I know a lot of people watch this devotional, and they come from lots of different backgrounds. In fact, I, sometimes I meet people that watch this devotional. I have no clue who turns into this thing. Turns into this thing. Hundreds of people do, and not just in the United States, all over the world. And, and, and I'm blessed, tremendously blessed to be a part of something that the Lord is doing, and I'm very happy for that. But I don't know your situation. And let me tell you, if you're in a situation where you go to a place that calls itself a church, and you got a person that calls him or herself a pastor, and they're guilty of doing the same thing the Pharisees are doing, namely dishonoring Christ, don't fool yourself. You're in a synagogue of Satan, all right? Again, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And this is not about me. It's about what Jesus has just said. Verse 50, he continues, Jesus continues, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? Let's continue reading. Verse 52, at this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now, this is where Jesus gets down to the heart of the matter here. This idea of seeing death. What death is he talking about? Is he talking about physical death? Well, no, he's not. And he's going to allude to this. What Jesus is talking about is ultimate death, spiritual death, the death of hell, which is death and death and death and destruction for all eternity. Jesus is going to respond to this, but do you get what the Pharisees are saying? They're, Jesus, they're saying, now we know that you're possessed by a demon because you're saying that if you do your, if we follow your teachings, we'll never see death. But yet Abraham died and the prophets died. Are you saying that they're guilty of dishonoring God? Are you saying that you're better than them? Look at verse 54. Jesus replied. Now he doesn't answer them. He simply replies with this, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. All right, pause right there for a second. Jesus' response to all of this vigor, all of this vehemence from the Pharisees, he doesn't answer their question about Abraham dying and the prophets dying. No, instead, Jesus points to God. And what does he say? Without even answering that foolishness from the Pharisees, he speaks of God the Father honoring him. Now, that word honor has a lot built into it that we simply don't have the time to fully go into. Certainly, we have examples of this in Jesus' earthly ministry, right? At his baptism, when the voice came and behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? So we have that example. But what Jesus is really getting at here, this honoring him, 
means honoring what Jesus came to do, namely to save his people from their sins. So when Jesus is talking about those who follow his teachings, never tasting death, the honoring that he's speaking about that will come from God the Father is that God the Father will honor what Jesus came to do. And indeed, all those who place their faith in him will be saved. Remember, back in John chapter 6, Jesus talked about when the Pharisees said, well, what's the works of God? What are these works that we have to do to receive eternal life? Jesus said, the work is to believe in me. The work is to place your faith in me, to trust in me. Jesus is saying here, don't worry about what I say about myself. This is what God will do. He will honor those who honor me. Now, to put the capstone on it, listen to what Jesus says in verse 56. He says, your father Abraham. Now, pause for just a second. That helps a little bit. Here we go. Pausing for just a moment here, what gives? Jesus is now saying that Abraham is their father. This is not talking about spiritual father, right? Jesus is reverting to ethnicity here, right? And in fact, he could be saying this with even a touch of derision. But he says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Y'all, do you get why Jesus has said this? They've just been comparing Jesus to Abraham and the rest of the prophets. What does Jesus say about Abraham? He says that Abraham looked forward to me and he rejoiced in it. Now, Jesus doesn't have to respond to their questions about, are you saying you're greater than Abraham? No, 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 no. Jesus just points to the truth. Now, you might say, well, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about Abraham's heart. And that can be encapsulated or it can be seen in both what Abraham wrote, right? What Abraham prophesied, what Abraham looked forward to. Take Hebrews 11, 9, for instance, how it talked about how even though Abraham reached the promised land, you remember what it says? It says that he lived in a tent. Why? You know, Abraham, who was so favored by God, he could have built the grandest palace on earth if he wanted to. But he lived in a tent because he kept on looking. He kept on looking for that city whose builder and architect was God himself. Abraham kept looking for the kingdom of God and all of its fullness in Christ Jesus. Abraham kept looking for the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Y'all, all of these things is what Jesus points to. He doesn't fall into their trap. You know, he doesn't get into this tit for tat thing with the Pharisees. No, he points them to the truth of Scripture. And the truth of Scripture is that everyone who was saved before Jesus came looked forward to the coming Messiah. And the language here is is really telling, and it gets to the root of a lot of things. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. But the Greek word is exalted. That means a zealous joy. That means of all the things, what Jesus is saying here, of all the things that Abraham ever took joy in, His greatest joy was in the coming Christ. His greatest joy was in Jesus' coming. And that's the problem the Pharisees have. That's the problem that's going on in the world around you. 
The Pharisees rejected Jesus. The world around you rejects Jesus. They don't care for him. They don't love him. They want the benefits of knowing Jesus, but they don't want to obey. Instead, Jesus points them to himself. And if you're wondering about this identity issue, listen to what Jesus says next. This is verse 57. The Pharisees say to him, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? In other words, they're saying, how do you know Abraham was looking forward to you? Verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Ooh, yo. You want to talk about the most controversial thing that Jesus said? This is probably it right here. And that's noted by the fact that verse 59 says, At this, they picked up stones to kill him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Y'all, you can be confused over theology. You can wonder about the application of God's word. But let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't leave you any place to hide here. He doesn't leave you any place to go. Either you will accept him as God. Again, evoking the name I am. This is not Jesus talking about spatiality or anything like that. He's not talking about timelines, except for the fact that he's eternal, that he is God the Son. When he said before Abraham was, I am, this was the most blasphemous thing that he could have possibly said, according to the Pharisees. So either it had to be true, or Jesus is guilty of breaking the highest laws of God's word and their laws. And we know that it's true. The question they faced is, what would they do with him? And they decided to kill him. They couldn't, but that's what they wanted to do. What do you think is going on in the world today? This world around us. You know, this world must decide as well. Will it accept Christ for who he is, for God in the flesh, that the only way to have life is through him? Or will they try to destroy him? The answer that much of the world settles on is that they will try to destroy him. You see it through what the world does to his word, trying to chip away at it, trying to disprove it. You see it through what the world does of Jesus himself, making a mockery of him. You see it through what the world tries to do to the church. You see it through sometimes what the visible church tries to do to the church, tries to implode, tries to devour itself. This is all Satan. It's all Satan working. What you see here is the sons of hell acting like the sons of hell, and what you see in the world around you is the sons and daughters of hell acting like the sons and daughters of hell. Jesus leaves us no room to wiggle out. You will either accept him for who he is, or you will hate him and despise him and work against him. That is your choice. But know, know that his words are true. If you follow him, you'll never taste death, not ultimately. But if you reject him, you will reap the whirlwind. I think that's a good place to stop for today. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us, and we pray your blessings on it and on us. Help us to place our faith in Christ and Christ alone. Help us to see him, both now and all of today and the rest of our lives until we are face to face with him in your glory. And we pray it in his name. Amen. 
Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I appreciate your prayers. I see we've got Christine and Becky and Marianne. Thank you for that. And there's Rose and Monica. Again, Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m.